This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside of this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events. From somewhere in the desert, between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Fairy Tales. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty! The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas, where we uncover the truth, one guest at a time. For those who dare to seek, Veritas is the place where they shall find. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, make yourself at home. I want to thank all our members. As always, you are keeping Veritas alive. Tonight's special guest is Michael Schratt, military aerospace historian, with That's Classified, Military Secrets Revealed. Michael will be with us shortly. To listen to the complete version of this and all our past and future shows, become a member. You will receive immediate access to all our inventory of shows, that's 88 episodes to date, and a few bonus interviews, the Veritas Private Chat Room and the Manticore Forum. Just head on over to our website, VeritasShow.com, click on subscribe and take Veritas with you. And let me remind you once again that the 8GB brush metal cased USB drive containing all of Season 1 and a lot of bonus material is now in stock. To review all the contents, visit our website, VeritasShow.com and click on the Veritas store to place your order. And now, find out why is it that there are bridges, schools, and roads in major disrepair, but the military-industrial complex continues to obtain the necessary funding that fuels conflict around the world, including the B-2 bomber, which costs $1.2 billion to produce and is worth more than its weight in gold. There is a major disconnect between the people and our government, which is supposed to represent us. President Eisenhower warned us, and today, we are facing the consequences. If you want to believe, stop this audio now. If you want to know, don't go anywhere. Michael Schratt is coming up next. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas.
most of the great music you hear right here on The Veritas Show is supplied by the independent artists from Jamendo.com. If you hear a song you like, go over to our homepage, VeritasShow.com, click on the guest, look up the song, and download it. You can even buy the group's CDs, in many cases right there at Jamendo.com. Edgar Mitchell, and you're listening to The Very Top Show. A shadowy government with its own Air Force, its own Navy, its own fundraising mechanism, and the ability to pursue its own ideas of the national interest, free from all checks and balances, and free from the law itself. Michael Schratt is a private pilot and military aerospace historian. Michael currently works as an aerospace draftman in Tempe, Arizona. Michael has lectured across the country on the unique subjects of mystery aircraft and classified propulsive systems buried deep within the military-industrial complex. A recent guest speaker at the Oshkosh Air Venture 2006 and 7 event, which is the world's largest air show, Michael has developed a number of contacts which have had first-hand experience dealing with classified black programs, including former United States Air Force pilots, retired naval personnel, and aerospace engineers to have maintained a top-secret magic clearance. In Michael's own words, quote, I'm all about pushing the envelope. I'm all about rocking the boat, pushing buttons, causing controversy. It doesn't do any good to be conservative. I'm going for broke, and I'm fully prepared to go down with the ship with this research. Absolutely. Unquote. And directly from Tempe, Arizona, for the first time on Veritas, I would like to introduce Michael Schratt. Hello, Michael, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Hello, Mel. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to be a part of your program. It's my pleasure. And uh, I had to read that quote, Michael, because... When I heard you at another interview, and I met you in person a couple of times already, you are the type of guest that I like because you don't cut any corners. You're a, you're a great researcher, and a lot of people may wonder why you haven't written a book, and you're doing this because you want this information out. Otherwise, it would be literally buried as the many aircraft and projects that have been buried right on their test sites, Right. Absolutely, Mel. And uh, what I want to talk about this evening is I want to get a brief overview uh, to, to the general public regarding these programs that we have paid for primarily with our tax dollars. And we're going to be reviewing 18 specific aircraft. I want to stress that I'm not making this material up by myself. I am referencing my sources. I'm going to provide articles, dates, locations, publications where uh, the listening audience can check this information out for themselves. So very quickly here, Mel, this will be a, a brief rundown of some of the topics uh, I'm hoping we can cover uh, this evening. Uh, we'll okay. be considering the Boeing Phantom Works Bird of Prey, the A-12 Avenger 2, the Northrop Tacid Blue, uh, B-2 electrogravitic technology associated with that particular aircraft, the Manta Ray, the Sneaky Pete, the RAF Boscombe Down Astra, U.S. Air Force Jet Flying Wing Disc Program, TR-3B, Southern Illinois Flying Triangle, East German Flying Triangle Crash Retrieval, Chris Gibson Aurora Sighting, Brilliant Buzzard, Boeing TAV F-19 Pulsar Superstall, and the ARV. And before you continue, Michael, I have two questions. First of all, so that those in the audience who may not know who you are, give us some background and uh, what triggered you to become an aerospace historian? We don't see that many. And also, after you give me that, tell me what black programs really mean, because a lot of people hear that word all the time. Sure, Mel, no problem. Uh, I've always had an interest in unusual aircraft, uh, living primarily in Chicago, which is just about uh, two and a half hours south of Oshkosh, Wisconsin, Wisconsin, which is the largest air show in the world. Uh, basically been going there the last 25 
years and, you know, certainly interested in the conservative P-51, uh, general aviation aircraft, rotorcraft, ultralights, classic home builds. I mean, th- that's all very interesting. However, I was deeply interested in what was going on behind the scenes. Talk the aircraft that have been test flown at Area 51, which is uh, Air Force Flight Test Center Detachment 3, that's actual spook group terminology for that particular facility, what may be going on at Edwards North Base, and a series of craft that uh, we have pretty much nailed down has been or at one time were temporarily parked at MacDill Air Force Base, the scrap area. So that's kind of how I I got my interest into that. And I just took it to the next level. I started interviewing test pilots, engineers who had worked on the programs. Obviously, uh, there was a majority that would not or refuse to discuss such programs, but some of them were acceptable to discuss some of these problems. And that's how I started this research. Well, that was a, a, a next question. What percentage of the people you talked to would you think that uh, they told you the, the real story? Uh, was it misinformation? Or how many said, no, I can't talk because this is classified? Uh, I would say 20% would be agreeable. Let me give you a, a quick uh, example here. Um, a lot of aviation enthusiasts have been on the trail of something called the manta ray. Now, this was quoted in Aviation Week Space Technology as being one of the aircraft that flew as a liaison aircraft to the F-117A during Desert Storm. Uh, It's been rumored for decades to have existed. And so I pulled up a list of all the, quote, bandits. Bandits are the terminology used to identify pilots of the stealth fighter, correct. And I listed them, there's, you know, there's dozens of these people. There's maybe 120 of them. There's a lot of these pilots. And uh, of course you couldn't contact them all. So the the ones that I I was successful in contacting, uh, let me give you a quote on, on what one gentleman told me. Now I asked them, what was it like when the manta ray was in the same hangar as the F-117A at TTR, that's Tonopah Test Range. And this gentleman, who is a former F-117 pilot, said, quote, you know I can't talk about that, end quote. Now, you know, that's not smoking gun evidence, but leaning toward uh, the the veiled existence of such a bird. Uh, it, it has been cited at multiple different locations. Eyewitnesses have uh, videotaped this uh, a little bit on the blurry side, but this is at least at least one of perhaps a half dozen or maybe up to a dozen man-classified craft that were developed within the height of the Cold War, which have never been seen by the general public and remain classified to this day. Now, why do you believe that even still, after Gulf War One, right. a lot of these planes flew at night because of their their capabilities, uh, but there's another one that can fly during the day and we can't see it. Ah, Am I right? Well done, Mel. I see you've done your homework. That's that's great. Uh, exactly, exactly. That does the question: What is the situation there, and why? Is that aircraft still classified to this day? Uh, interesting to note that <clears throat> it wasn't just the manta ray, but it was the technology associated with the manta ray, the acoustic suppression. We're talking aircraft that is orders of magnitude a lot less um, acoustically trackable than the F-117A. And I'm quoting here, um, Aviation Week Space Technology, June 10th, 1991, so that people can check this out for themselves. It says, Trailer Recon Aircraft may be supporting F-117A. And it gives a brief breakdown of this particular aircraft. And it's believed that it's actually called the Manta Ray. Uh, Northrop appears to be the primary contractor job. General Dynamics and perhaps McDonnell Douglas were involved as well. Teledyne Ryan also has a patent for a very similar look flying wing type configuration, and that is uh, DES-2 
244265 has almost the identical configuration. So we do have some paperwork to support the existence of this uh, tactical high-altitude penetrator that was originally proposed in the, in the late 1970s. And as I was uh, telling Michael before we started the show, a lot of the presentations that he has made, he has made in person or on video because you can see a lot of the, he uses a lot of visuals, which is imperative when you're talking uh, technical aspects. All the, this is technical and, and Michael has done a, a formidable job uh, compiling this information. So he has been kind enough to provide a lot of these images that you can, if you're not driving, if you're not in a situation where you can, you have to drive uh, when you get home or at work, if, if, you, if you want to, just go to the website and you'll be able to see a lot of these images so you can put a lot of what Michael is saying on a visual basis. But I don't know that many aerospace historians, but you almost have a, a, a niche in terms of being more of a researcher of black project. But first of all, tell us what black programs means, because a lot of people hear the word black. Right. A black program is any program that has less than 5% congressional overtype, oversight. A, a Then we have the second category, which is a deep black program. And the third and final category is what's called a USAP or unacknowledged specialist program. If you work in one of these projects and the president asks you for specific details regarding that program, your mandatory reply is to be, Mr. President, no such project exists. So that's kind of a, a brief overview of, of the definition of, of some of that terminology. And I also want to highlight the front page of Detroit Free Press. This is Sunday, February 8th, 1987, during the Reagan administration. It says here, quote, secret ledger hides military projects. Gone black budget has tripled under the Reagan administration. In this article, and this is, appears in a couple of my presentations, uh, they have a breakdown of government spending. And they clearly indicate that uh, the, the black budget in 1981 grew by over half a billion dollars. By 1988, it grew by over $9 billion dollars. Uh, federal spending by category in billions for fiscal year 1988. Uh, for education, we spent $25 billion. For agriculture, we spent $26 billion. But for the Pentagon's black budget mill, it was $35 billion. So I'm asking, I'm asking anyone listening, is there a mismanagement of funding here? I mean, we're spending more on classified black budget funding than we are for helping our students the uh, the fixing up of our infrastructure, uh, we could be using that for alternative energy. It's not being done, at least not within the white world. And then finally, they indicated that the total procurement funding for the Air Force was $51.1 billion, of which $19.1 billion was for classified black budget programs within the Air Force budget. That is absolutely incredible. And before we touch this, because I really want to focus on what you just said, so much budget, so much. And I have to go back to, to the report from Iron Mountain uh, and a lot of what was discussed with Kennedy, that we need to have a, a conflict all the time in order for us to, to our economy not to, to crumble. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why this is, this is it. But... Senator Inouye, you probably have heard that uh, yes, speech, I yes. which I, I played before you came on, because it's important. Uh, there's there's President Eisenhower, during his farewell speech, he said it best, you know, beware of the, the military, industrial, and one thing that you may know was that he wrote on his draft, military, industrial, congressional complex, sure. but his uh, advisors told him not to do so. Do you think that the military-industrial complex has taken over, and they are really who are managing this country? Well, as that senator had mentioned, he said that they have their own uh, money-making mechanism, they have their own Air Force, their own Navy, and they Navy. are not answerable to the president. They are a complete on their own. I must agree. We have a secret space program. It's talked about by many different individuals. We absolutely do. If, if we really believe, if we really believe 
that the space shuttle at the Kennedy Space Center in uh, Florida using liquid rockets, okay, is that the best that we've got? The liquid rockets were used by the Nazis over 60 years ago. This is an absolute joke. I mean, right. you can't be risking people's lives on this obsolete dinosaur technology. This is a tragedy. It is a Greek tragedy. Uh, we demand that the propulsion systems associated with these classified vehicles declassified, put within the public domain for the benefit of all humanity. And now, Mel, that we've got this situation with the oil leak, uh, we really need it now more than that. I've been trying to, to do my part, even if it's a grain of sand. I recently had on the show uh, Professor John Searle, who has a, a very clever way of taking us off the dependency on on, on foreign oil, oil or even oil. But you mentioned the space shuttle. By the way, are you still there? Yep, I'm still here. Okay, just making sure. I was telling uh, Michael that a lot of the information that he shares, very similar to what uh, our friend Dr. Paul Laviolet discusses, and I told him that we got disconnected uh, 20-some times, so whenever I don't hear his voice, I just want to make sure that I'm not talking to myself. But the space shuttle, 1960s, 70s technology, it is almost like a slap in the face to know that this is the best that we can do. But if it is the best that we can do, and you have people, once again, Dr. Paul Ivillette wrote letters to NASA prior to the last accident, the Columbia Space Shuttle accident. He wrote letters to, to commercial airlines explaining a system of, of electrifying the wings so that you could get uh, less drag, about 60-70%, and 60-70% less, less fuel usage. And the answer was always, we don't need it. And NASA basically just gave him the runaround. Isn't that a crime against humanity, Michael? That is, that is crazy. And let's, since we're on the subject of the B-2, let's go ahead and, and, and get right into that. Now, this comes from Aviation Week Space Technology, March 9th, 1992. I want to quote my source. The article in question is listed as, quote, Black World Engineer Scientists Encourage Using Highly Classified Technology for Civilian Applications. Now, to paraphrase this, Mel, this was a group of very upset Northrop engineers. Now, why were they upset? Well, they were upset because they knew that the technologies that were being employed, the classified technologies being employed on the B-2 were not being trickled down to the commercial airline industry. Now, point in case here is this article specifically mentioned that the B-2 electrically charges the leading edge of the wing through radar cross signature and then uh, negatively charges the exhaust gas, reducing the infrared signature. Now, what they found, do this, is there is a massive cross-section reduction when this takes place. But, interesting, uh, via 1968 report from Northrop, they indicated that uh, positively charged the leading edge of the wing, there is a drastic coefficient reduction by up to 60%, thereby saving fuel consumption perhaps up to 60% and minimizing your sonic boom footprint, basically taking out the sonic boom footprint. This is a fantastic technology, Mel. It's not being used. Absolutely. And the space shuttle, what he told NASA was that the biggest problems with the space shuttle are on you know heating when they're re-entering the atmosphere. Sure. And by electrifying, the less drag, the less chances of, of the space shuttle from exploding. And they didn't listen, and boom, here you have it. Columbia right. exploded. Was it 2004 2003, or 5? I think it was. Three. Yeah, That's right. I think so. That's right. So basically what we're talking about here is you can take a standard issue 747 and not change the exterior of the aircraft this technology and boom you can uh, save fuel consumption by 60% you could pretty much um, alleviate your sonic boom that means you could perhaps travel faster than Mach 1 over the continental United States and not have an issue so we're already talking beyond perhaps the, the uh, Concord that's no longer in operation we've already basically leapfrogged that technology we haven't even changed the exterior configuration of the aircraft why would uh, the commercial airliners 
not get together and say, we need this. Even if it's one airline that says, we need this. The, the, the airline industry, folks, if you're listening, has a very, I have a relative who's a high-ranking member of an airline. And the profit margins are so, so thin. If you were to introduce this technology, talk about safety, talk about probably taking you from from uh, L.A. to Australia at a much faster pace, this could help commerce. Because what helps the economy is the the to facilitate the shipment of goods in a faster fashion, right? Exactly, exactly. Uh, we we are dealing Mel with dinosaur technology. It is a, it, we have been had, we have been hoodwinked, we have been lied to for decades. This is just a tragedy. Uh, this they would spend billions of dollars. The airline has demonstrated that they will spend billions of dollars for two to three percent more efficiency. We're talking about a leap in efficiency by up to 60%. It's just unreal. This is, this is a gold mine to the airline industry, but they're not taking advantage of it. That's the thing. It's, it's not being released. They're not having access to the material. And uh, we are paying the price for it now. And we are really paying the price for it now with this new situation in the Gulf. And Oakham's Razor. Just talk about the simplest theory between you and I is it because of the dependency of uh, on oil is that if we were to if this technology were to be introduced the the significant reduction in in fuel consumption would hit the oil producing companies bottom line is that the reason why well I, that's certainly one of the reasons why absolutely the other is that it is still profitable for the military industrial complex to produce obsolete products. I mean, why should they build a revolutionary product that uses 90% less fuel? They can still make money making F-16s, making 747s. It's still profitable for them to do that. And so they're going to continue to do that until this whole thing grinds to a halt. And then just maybe they'll lift the cover on some of these other programs and we'll just get this out by drops. That appears to be what the scenario here is. Just wondering if you have applications open on your side, because you're cutting off a little bit, and I wonder if you're speaking through a voiceover IP that may be using bandwidth uh, with other applications open. No, just a regular cell. Okay, all right. So if this is the reason why, and once again, I have heard that the airlines have a few things that they don't talk about. Anti-gravity. If anybody starts talking about that, they're told to shut up. Anti-gravity. What happened to the airliner at the Pentagon? And a few other things that I'm not going to be discussing tonight. But sure. obviously, something has trickled down to, to management not to allow people to discuss it. And, and if they discuss this, all of a sudden, you lose your job. Isn't that the norm right now, Michael? Well, you don't even, Mel, have to get that exotic. We don't even have to go down the road of anti-gravity. If you can control the boundary layer using laminar flow control and you're able to keep the air from separating near the trailing edge of the wing, you can reduce the overall leg of the aircraft by up to 50% by using laminar flow control. Now, NASA did studies in the 1960s and 70s regarding this and they said that basically the bottom line is it wasn't worth the effort because you had to carry all this extra equipment on it. But if you utilize some of the information that we just discussed and you incorporate that with a laminar flow airfoil and you can keep that airflow adhering to almost 85 to 95% back from the leading edge of the wing, you have just made a quantum leap right there. That needs to be investigated as well. And we're not even talking about very exotic propulsion systems. This can be done. Uh, this should be done. It's a tragedy that it's not being done. What I'm going to say right now may elicit some people to send me some hate mail, but that's okay. You know that I, I shoot from the hip. I recently was in, in Nevada and with a group of people, and uh, you know who Ed Grimsley is? Yes, I do. 
Yes, okay. I do. Well, we spent a couple of nights looking up, and I have never seen a UFO, and, and folks who listen know that. And I also, even if I saw it, I'm not going to say it because I have to prove it before I tell you. I did see a few delta wings, triangle-shaped vehicles flying. I had this hunch that this is our own secret space program. And the reason why I said that I may get some hate mail, because a lot of people in Arizona remember March of 1997, the Phoenix Lights. Michael, is there a possibility that what they saw could have been ours? Well, keep in mind, Mel, that we should never underestimate what has been procured within the military-industrial complex. Uh, I have in my possession that I've presented before the 1976 report from McDonnell Douglas talking about LTA, lighter-than-air vehicles, neutral buoyancy craft, over 400-ton cargo lifting capability, between 800 and in some cases, according to Mark McCandlish, over a mile across triangular diamond omega dish-shaped craft that you would believe right off the top of the bat that this must be alien. But according to the 1976 report from McDonnell Douglas, we've already got the technology. Michael, you just described what was seen in Phoenix and Tucson. I mean, about one mile with some people would grab a newspaper, open it, and this thing was still going over the edges. Uh, lighter than air, no sound. Right. I just think that there, there, there's, there's a strong possibility that this was ours. We, we can't rule it out. We can't rule it out loud. Let me let me quote, and, and I'm not the one saying this, let me take to the horse's mouth, and let me give you the words of our good friend uh, who's no longer with us, Ben Rich, who is the former Lockheed Skunk Works, who took over the reins of the Skunk Works from Kelly Johnson back in 1995. I spent about a year putting together all of his most important quotes having to do with classified aircraft and advanced propulsion and space travel technology. Each one of these is completely 100% vetted. It is verified. You can bank on it. And I'm going to give you the quote. This is 1993 Wright-Patterson Air Force Base slide presentation. This is Ben Rich talking. Quote, we did the F-104, the C-130, the U-2, the SR-71, F-117, and many other programs that I can't talk about. We are still working very hard. I just can't tell you what we are doing directly from Ben Rich, okay? So right off the bat, he's admitting that they have programs that absolutely they, they can't talk about. Now, in itself, uh, that may not be the, the bombshell uh, information we're looking for, but he continues, and this it gets interesting here. Um, this is a well-known quote from Ben Rich, 1993 Wright-Patterson Air Force Base slide presentation. The Air Force has just given us a contract to take ET back home. Then he says, at the UCLA School of Engineering alumni speech, this is 3-23-1993, it is time to end all secrecy as it no longer poses a national security threat and make the technology available for use in the private sector, okay? And then, of course, here at the AIAA lecture, this is September 7th through the 9th, 1988, Ben Rich, quote, I wish I could tell you about the projects we are currently working on. They are both fascinating and fantastic. They call for technologies once only dreamed of by science fiction writers, end quote. That is just incredible. You see the same who said that if you can imagine it, we have it. But if <laughs> before the public can see it, an act, what is it? Not even an act of God have to happen before we can see it. Sure. Let, let me give you basically the last statement that uh, Ben had made. Uh, Jim Goodall, who is a friend of mine, he's another black aircraft researcher. He was very good friends with Ben Rich uh, and with John Andrews, who was the uh, senior project design engineer for Special Projects Group Testers Model Corporation San Diego. Just before Ben passed away, um, Jim Goodall got a telephone uh message into Ben Rich, and uh, just prior to that, 
he had asked Ben if he would be interested in doing a non-Hobart interview. Uh, ben did agree to that. Unfortunately, it never took place because uh, Ben passed away. However, as I mentioned previously, uh, Jim did get a last final call into Ben. And here is uh, what... Ben Rich told Jim Goodall over the phone just before he passed away on January 5th, 1995. It says, quote, Jim, we have things out in the desert that are 50 years beyond what you could possibly comprehend. If you've seen it on Star Wars or Star Trek, we've been there, done that, or decided it wasn't worth the effort, end quote. So, Mel, I submit to the listening audience that, according to Ben Rich, who is the former head of Lockheed Skunk Works, that we have technologies now that are 50 years beyond what we could possibly even dream of, Mel. It's anybody's guess what that could mean. We live in an illusion, and our mutual friend Jim Nichols said it best to me when he said that, you know, if you're standing in front of the Area 51 area and see the fence, it really makes you wonder if reality is what's inside there, and we are actually living in an illusion. And we talk about the president getting a phone, uh, making a phone call and trying to find out about some of these projects, and, and mandatory for him to be told, Mr. President, there's no such project. We think of our president as the highest-ranking elected official that we have. He's the commander-in-chief. However, there are things that he is not supposed to know. Explain this. Okay, good good question, and I would agree. Uh, they call Area 51 Dreamland. Well, in case in point, outside of Area 51 is the we're living in the dream world. Exactly. They're, they're the ones who are, you know, procuring the programs. All of us are, are living in this uh, saturated world of entertainment, um, of just complete excess. We have lost who we are. Um, we're not in touch with what's really going on. We're living in the dream world. The joke is on us, basically. Now, you talked about security classifications, and this is an interesting point because if it has been said that the UFO issue, which is tied in with the classified aircraft issue, um, if this is actually something that is above the president, how can President Barack Obama declassify and disclose this knowledge if he has no access to it? It's, it's completely true. It's because that this issue has been relegated now to the privatized defense contractors, and President Obama has no need to know about these type programs, so he's not going to get access to it. There's no way that he can declassify by this if he can't even get access to it. It's out of his classification level. Um, it's, it's out of his hands. It's clearly out of his hands. Now, how do we know that? Because we have the security organizational chart, Mel, and I'll just break this down uh, for you here. We start at the bottom, which is restricted. We move up from there. It goes confidential, secret. Pay, pay, pay attention, folks, because this is probably one of the most interesting and important things you'll hear. <laughs> uh, I'll just repeat it really quickly here. Restricted is the lowest, and we, we move up from there. We've got confidential, secret, top secret. Above that, we've got SCI, which is special compartment and information. Then above that, we've got USAP, or unacknowledged special access program. Above that, Mel, there are 28 levels of top-secret crypto. The president, okay, President Barack Obama, is cleared for Crypto 17, okay? He is cleared for the GO codes or the launch codes, okay? Beyond that, it's a done deal. It's a done deal. There, there are at least 20 levels of security is above the president, so there's no way that he's going to have access to programs. So he's less than half of the top. He's less than half. In point of fact, the president is near the bottom of the list, Mel. <laughs> so the people who continue to say that uh, he will be the disclosure president, and no. some of my friends know who I'm referring to, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. It's not going to come from President Obama. And if it came from the government, I just can't fathom that it could, Michael. I know. I know. I totally agree. I totally agree. Uh, it's, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. 
And furthermore, Michael, people think, well, but thankfully we have the Freedom of Information Act. We can get a lot of this information. But if President Eisenhower was right, and I think he truly was, the military-industrial complex took over. And then when we say that, we mean the private contractors. Private contractors do not have to submit anything on the Freedom of Information Act. So that information is, is out there beyond what we can grasp. Wow, you are really well read into this, Mel. I'm, I got to give it to you. You're, you're exactly right on. You mentioned the Freedom of Information Act. Now, that is very close to me, and, I, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I actually tried to test this out. Um, there's a couple of aircraft that, that I've been trying to track down. I wanted to get the, the latest word, and I tried to get a number of these aircraft um, out into the public domain. So what I did is I formed a FOIA request per government spec. I did exactly everything that they request. Uh, I wrote this thing out per exactly how it's written out. I requested any information, uh, you know, photos, documentation, technical drawings, three views of an aircraft called the YF-24. Okay, uh, we know that this is a real aircraft. This is not science fiction. This is an aircraft that is flown by Joseph Lanny. Okay, um, L A N N. This is a no nonsense type guy. Uh, he works at Wright Patterson Air Force Base Air Material Command. I have a copy of his flying biography right here, and just very briefly. He's got over 4,300 hours total time. He's flown the F-4, the F-5, the F-15, the F-16, F-18, the F-A-22. And then at the very end of this list of aircraft, it says YF-24. Okay, so he had, the, the government is admitting, I'm not saying it, the government is admitting that he has flown this aircraft. So I submitted over a year and a half ago a FOIA request for the declassification of this aircraft. And every time I submit this under the new, quote, Obama transparency on government policy, it always comes back no records. So here we have the government saying that he has flown it, and then under oh, transparency of government, we have no records of it. So where are we to go? There's just, it's not going to happen, Mel. It's, it's this whole FOIA thing, it's just not going to happen. Was it an oops moment that they included that uh, secret aircraft on the bio? And if you go to the website, can you still get his bio the same way you have? Yep, that that has been deleted. But I got a (laughs) copy of the original one. It has been deleted. And this isn't the only case, Mel. This is not an isolated incident. Let me me, uh, shoot this out to you. Now, this is September 27th. 2004 says quote lacrosse tribune okay parents don't know pilot son did but it was fantastic this is they're talking about um their son who is doug benjamin he's flown at least three possibly more classified aircraft programs he has given an honor for it at the gathering of eagles near lancaster california but yet mel what he has flown for years now has never been revealed to the public. Absolutely not. So here's another example right here. This is just incredible. And correct me if I'm wrong. I'm, I'm not a, a good researcher as you are, but I believe it's a B-2 bomber that's worth about, what, $2.3 billion that's a piece? Exactly Am I right? That's exactly correct. That's exactly and correct. It, it's worth more than its weight in gold. Absolutely. $2.3 billion. Absolutely. One, explain more. Well, when you have smooth contouring, you've got carbon fiber, you've got graphite, you've got revolutionary new technologies, they believe, okay, that it's justified. It's justified. By 83, they already spent uh, $27 billion on research and development. But when you really break down the numbers, Mel, there is a gigantic discrepancy in funding. We don't know where the, the money went for R&D regarding the B-2 program in its initial years. Um, by 1983, 
This was originally supposed to be a high-altitude bombing platform. The Air Force changed its mind back in 83, which forced Northrop to redesign the wing at the cost of taxpayers of $1 billion for a low-altitude nap-of-the-earth mission. So that just cost us all a billion dollars right there. So you have a very good point. What in the world could cost so much money and that's exactly what that a Aviation Week article is proposing, that there is more going on with the B-2 meets the eye. Now, how do we know this? Let me give you two quick examples. Number one, you will never, repeat, never see a photograph of the Northrop B-2 stealth bomber with the engine access panels removed. It does not exist. So for some reason... They do not want us to see what's going on there. Case number two, and I've heard this from more than one photographer, okay, aviation photographer. During the initial rollout of the B-2 and even up into modern times, um, when there was a press event involving the B-2 stealth bomber, as it taxied down the tarmac, showing the aft end of the aircraft, photographers were told, quote, when the B-2 taxis by, you will lower your cameras, end quote. And, and it wasn't, they, they weren't asking, they were telling, and it was very stern. You are to lower your cameras when the aft end of the B-2, so there's something going on that meets the eye. And we're, to this day, we're still not getting the full record on what's happening with the B-2. So I totally agree. There's definitely more going on than meets the eye. Once again, how do we reconcile that schools are breaking down, people are unemployed? It's it's more than mismanagement. Let's go back to to uh, summer. I believe it was uh, July of two thousand one when we had uh, former Secretary of Defense uh, Donald Rumsfeld right. say that they lost two point three trillion dollars. Exactly. Uh, some, sometimes let me just put my parapolitical researcher hat for one second, and I'm going to get some heat here from people, but. I just cannot comprehend how you can lose $2.3 trillion. My, my first job when I was very young was a, a, a cashier at a grocery store. I lost $50, and I was suspended for two weeks. Okay? Right. Here you have right. $2.3 trillion, and nothing happened. Is this money going somewhere? Perhaps a CIA, let's just speculate, CIA fronts out there, money laundered, and then going on all these private contractors so we can build the infrastructure that would take us to the to the next level, Iraq war, Afghanistan war, and possibly now we're looking at Iran also. Well, Mel, let, let me throw this back to you. Do, you. do you just mention something very interesting? You're talking about Donald Rumsfeld talking about how they lost $2.3 trillion. Do you know, Mel, on what day... He testified and made that st statement. Do you know what day that was? 2001, but I don't know the day. Let me give you a, a real quick uh, hint. The day that Donald Rumsfeld told Congress that he lost this money was September 10th, 2001. Oh, my God. So it was the One day before. Before 9-11. Now, you tell me uh, that's a coincidence. Uh, I usually mention this on the show Michael, but on September the 11th, 1990, President Bush, uh, 41, during one of his speeches, he mentioned the New World Order, that we need a New World Order. Exactly 11 years later, we had September the 11th, 2001. Sure, sure. And the next 11 years will be 2012, and a lot of people speculate that something's going to happen in 2012. Mm -hmm. All solar maximums. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, you can see that the numerology that's being is—is is this a coincidence? I don't—I don't think so. I don't think so. It, it really isn't. Now, we were talking about people who know or people who might know more than we do. I'm going to submit three people right now, okay? That I believe, I personally believe, know a tremendous amount about this subject matter. Talking about classified aircraft propulsion systems that are revolutionary uh, per what Ben Rich had, had mentioned to us. Number one, <laughs> former Vice President Dick Cheney. Okay, it's always known. We, we've always known that Dick Cheney has been read into these programs. Uh, he's, a, he's a diabolical character to say the least, and I have no problem saying this. Uh, why do we say this? Because um, 
in 2003, there was a whole series, and people in Washington, D.C. will back me up on this, and this has been reported. I've got the newspaper clippings. There was a whole series of explosions and uh, mining operations, dynamite going on at Dick Cheney's home at the U.S. Naval Observatory in Washington, D.C. They, they never explained what was going on. They refused to give any details about it. Uh, this went on for months. They did it in the nighttime. They did it in the daytime. They woke people up. There were thousands of complaints, but yet they continued doing this. Dick Cheney is very well read into these programs. A absolutely, absolutely. Uh, the other one is our our good friend, former President George Bush Sr., okay, head of the CIA. He knows about these programs as well. He's very well read in. And the final person is former Secretary of Defense Bill Perry. He's very well read into these programs. Now, why Bill Perry? Easy, because Bill Perry is the gentleman who cut the checks for Ben Rich at the Skunk Works on the F-117. He's the one who wrote the checks for it. So Bill Perry, these three people have a very good handle on these programs, but clearly you know that they'll never talk about this. So we are left to do the best we can with what we have regarding sightings, regarding reports, regarding following up with aerospace literature, and talking to pilots and engineers who worked on the programs. And one of Obama's, President Obama's uh, advisors, Jones, uh, was quoted in an interview saying, I take my orders from Secretary Kissinger. <laughs> yes. Yes, he's Explain probably that. one as well. He's pro Kissinger has always been rumored to be one of these, uh, another one of these figures who is very well run into, run into these programs, borderline New World Order type. Um, mm -hmm. I, I definitely agree. We, we're, we're dealing with a completely different government here. The government that we, quote, elect is nothing but window dressing. It is a complete facade. That's not what's really going on here. There is a group of individuals who are, to the best of their ability, guiding things along the way. And we may be looking at a false flag operation with this oil thing. Difficult to say for exact sure, but it looks like the case. Absolutely. And we'll talk, if you'd like, we'll talk more about the oil spill, because I've been very involved in trying to report directly from with people like James Fox uh, directly from the area. But when we look at this, let's go back to uh, 2004. You have Kerry and you have Bush competing against each other. What are the chances of people who are bloodly connected and also part of uh, Skull and Bones, and there's right. only just a handful uh, in the United States, what are the chances that they both will be running against each other? So instead of elected, I say they're anointed, right? Sure. There, there is no election, Mel. There is no election. There is a selection, not an election. And that's how this works. This whole thing is rigged. This is, this is not a democracy we're living in anymore. We, we have reached the level of a police state right now. These black programs are rampant. They're out of control. And the people who work in these programs, they know that once these programs go black, there's no end to the funding and there's no end to the screw-ups. And what, you, what happens when you mess up these programs? What do they do? They sweep it under the carpet because it's a black program. No one can know. There's no congressional oversight. There's no public scrutiny. There's no public accountability. They're to do whatever they want. It is time to clamp down on these programs and get back on track. How can we ever fight this Goliath? I know that David won, but we think about some of these projects that are worth billions of dollars. You mentioned it in another interview, mm -hmm. that some of these are literally buried under the test site. Give us some examples. Sure. Uh, there was an aircraft called before, before um, the F-117A, it was called Have Blue. That was the prototype before the F-117A. That first flew in 1977 during the Carter administration. It's unbelievable that it goes back that far, but that's the origin point of all this stealth technology. Now, two prototypes were made. Uh, they no longer exist. Where are they? 
um, the remaining pieces of those two prototypes have been buried under what we believe to be one of the main runways at the remote test site in Nevada decades ago, never to be seen by human eyes again. They've buried it. So if we take that and we extrapolate to these other programs, there is a very high likelihood that the same fate that the Blue prototype met will also apply to these other aircraft as well. So if we as a nation or we as interested individuals in this subject matter do not at least up some type of, of an accounting, we're going to lose our national history and lose the technology associated with these programs. It's all going to be completely buried. How did you find out that, in particular, this, this specific aircraft was buried there. How did you get this information? Uh, because uh, Peter Merlin, who is another very in interesting uh, aircraft researcher, he works at NASA um, at Edwards. Uh, he tracked down a, a lot of that information and did get some of that declassified, and, and that's exactly what happened. They buried the parts of the have blue, the, the, the two airframes at the test site. It'll never be seen again. It'll never be seen again. It's completely not to be in any museum, nothing. All we have are some photographs. There's probably less than six photographs of Hablu ever, ever published. Uh, we'll never see that aircraft again. And look, I don't want to sound so idealistic to say that now we need to have complete transparency in what they're building, because in reality, yes, there's national security reasons involved. However, the amount of money that we're spending, and the amount of arsenal in terms of what we have, there's no other country that can compete against us with this type of, of uh, uh, disbursement of funds that we have every single year, Michael. I, I would agree, Mel. And let me give you three examples here. I am not calling for complete disclosure of everything having to do with the Department of Defense. No. I believe that there should be secrets. Three examples. There's a classified system on the Northrop B-2 stealth bomber. It's kind of an, uh, an anti-radar type system. It's called the ZSR-62. <laughs> Billions of dollars of research and development funding have been poured into it. They don't talk about it very much. It does exist. It's called the ZSR-62. Now, the, the technologies associated with that program should be classified. It should not be released. Number two is the mathematical equations um, associated with the atomic bomb. Those type things should be classified as well, the, the specific details of how that all takes place. And then number three, the frequencies used by our armed forces in Iraq and Afghanistan, that should be classified. That should not be declassified. So in many cases, yes, I am a supporter of uh, national security and allowing these things to be held under wraps. However, there is a significant portion of aircraft technology and airframes themselves that represent no threat to the national security if they would release it. And in point of fact, uh, it could actually help, as we mentioned before, airline industry, the propulsion systems could actually benefit this planet. So in this case, some of these birds can be released and brought into the public domain. I understand that most of these are through a black budget, but don't they need the approval of Congress in order to get this money, Michael? Some of these are. are, are um, there, there's no congressional oversight for a, a small fraction of these. Aircraft. No, there, there's, there's no congressional oversight. Um, it's, it's beyond that. It's beyond so where's that. the money coming from? It is coming from USAP-type programs. Uh, as you mentioned, some of this is CIA, but the majority of this are very, very deep black knowledge programs, uh, funding that, that goes beyond Congress. I, I doubt that three people in Congress know of these programs. Um, some of these are just so way out there. There's just no congressional oversight. There's just there. They have not been cleared for these programs. They have not. And we have to take our one and only break, Michael. But before, I want to let the audience know some of the things we'll be discussing. One of them is a commercial that was created a few years ago by uh, 
by a company. I'll, I'll tell the, the name when we come back. But they did such a good job replicating one of our uh, secret aircraft to the point that when that commercial aired, the phone lines at the Pentagon were lit like a Christmas tree. So you'll tell us more about that when we come back. Michael, how do we get in touch with more of your work? Um, well, certainly openminds.tv is the website. Uh, every week, uh, posting news stories on classified aircraft there. Um, anything having to do with my lectures, I've always made everything available to the public. I don't have products to sell. Um, you know, everything I've done has been free of charge. It's all on YouTube. It's, it's available to the public. So I've just tried to make this information available to my taxpayer and then people around the world who just have an interest in this subject matter. Well, this is a service to humanity, Michael, and we truly thank you on behalf of the worldwide audience. Folks, don't go anywhere. A lot of information coming up. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you very much for listening. We're going to talk more with our special guest in our members section. Head on over to our website, veritasshow.com. Click on subscribe and join us in the members area to tune in to the second part of this great show. We'll take a short break, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more.
This is Jim Nichols, and you're listening to The Veritas Show.